Marcus Tormina has a passion for authenticity and innovation, with a delicate balance to seamlessly blending practical stunts and digital enhancements that is pretty evident in Rebel Moon, where he pushed the boundaries between reality and virtual representation. Tormina's approach is characterized by an aversion to full digital effects, showcasing a stalwart belief in the magic of the actor's performance. That was notably demonstrated in this project in certain sequences, which we'll talk about. And that presented some complex challenges, requiring a delicate balance between stunts captured in motion capture suits and the nuanced performances of the actors involved. And this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. Here is my conversation with Marcus Tormina. Great to talk to you, Marcus. I actually saw the film uh, this morning, and um, it was a lot of fun. And uh, you know, Zach, Zach has a style, and you you gotta love his attention to detail. What's it like working with him? I got the impression there was a lot of previs done because there's some really amazing sequences in this. I first of all, working with Zach's great, um, just fantastic. Lots of energy, lots of positivity. Um, I think the thing, uh, which I've said multiple times, but it's true is like the thing with Zach as a director, DP producer, but as a person is he's a good person, but also he'll let you, he's hiring you in the department because he trusts you. Right. And so he entrusts, entrusts you with his uh, material, but also when I'm like, Hey, I want to try this thing or I want to do this thing. Hey, he's go good. Go with it. Go with it. Right. And so then he'll let you riff in a sense. So. Um, he'll set it up. He's going to shoot a certain way. He wants it a certain way. He'll talk to me about it a certain way. Um, but then when I have these ideas, he's not like, nope, that's not like on occasion. He'll say, no, I don't want that. Or no, that's not it. But for the majority of it, he's like, yeah, that's cool. Let's try that. Right. And so I think that's a great leader there in trusting the team, right. That you hire around him. There is more sci-fi talk. So stay tuned. In regards to your your previs comment, with the answer is kind of no and yes. <laughs> so stunt, we did a lot of stunt biz uh, for the um, Harmada scene, the Spider Woman, Jenna Malone Spider Woman. Wow, um, yeah. That one was a combination of where stunts did all their stunt biz, and we actually captured it um, with uh, mocap suits, and we kind of created a, a unreal. Um, hybrid approach so when we lead up to the moment uh it's you know it's not all digital in the movie but it's all digital in the post fit or the previs and then we cut to like some stunt performances the tricky one with that one was that we needed to figure out all the rigs that we needed to use because originally early on we talked about doing it all digital and i was like no like jenna's performance with duna is too good it's too rich like so uh, you know almost 90 percent of those shots in there are Jenna's in-situation performances. And the tricky part about that was the small um, the small set that we had to work within. And then just stunts did such a fantastic job with the stunts, special effects. Um, Duna and Jenna, for that matter, did such a great job. Uh, we had this big swivel rig. It was like a round rig that would go up and down. And Jenna was tied to it. Basically, 
I had to pin her hips to a, a board so she could only move her upper body. Obviously for me, that was important. Um, and the choreography of moving that with five stunt performers that also had noodles to act as the spider's legs and interact with Duna so Duna could block. And then Jenna's performance time to that. And, you know, three, two, one, hit the rig to go up. Like all of that was a beautiful harmony um, together. And that's when, when I got into post-production, I was like, yeah, this works really well. We just have to execute technically and put our spider in there. Uh, and obviously on set, I was there going, no, 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 you're going to be in the spider's legs over there. And I was like, what are you talking about? Was, just trust me. Like, just you're going to be that. <laughs> Um, so that was one that was, that actually the stunt viz and the previs really helped because we had to know a limited amount of shooting days and the small space. We had to know like choreo around the set. And again, props to the special effects department for building that rig and stunts for kind of having that, um, agility and movement. And of course, Duna and Jenna, Jenna was such a champ, um, as well as Duna. Um, Jenna was every single take I'd have to go in there and be like, don't, don't wiggle your hips as much. And towards the end of it, I'd go in, I was going in to say like, great job. And she's like, did I do it again? Did I wiggle my hips? I'm like, no, you did a fantastic job. Like just do exactly what you're doing. Cause you know, my intention is not to get in the way of their performances. It's to support it. And I think we did a great job with that sequence. There is more sci-fi talk. So stay tuned. Freeviz wise for the Bennu flight, we didn't do any previs. We only did a very yeah. early motion test of the Bennu in the corral just to give something to show Stas, uh, Tarek. Yeah. You know, okay, this is kind of what the Bennu is going to do. For the flight sequence, we shot that all on a buck in a, in a parking lot in, uh, <laughs> at Sunset Gower, right? And we had three, we had four cameras. One was the motion picture anamorphic camera, and the other three were static spherical cameras because I talked to Zach and I said, I want us to do locked off cameras on these. And the reasoning is because we can get all that performance. And then what I can do is I can take them and I can scale them down and reanimate them and recompose them for this big majestic flight sequence. And then intermingle, you know, our digital our fully digital shots in between those. And so he's like, great, do it. And because we didn't previs that sequence, we had actually more latitude in post-production to kind of riff on it. So the, the you know, the artists of Framestore and uh, Bob Winter, our, our supervisor, when I talked to them, I was like, look, we have the opportunity. Like, we have to ground this in the cinematography that is the rest of the movie. But yeah. we can have fun with this. And we have opportunities to not, not, not that we couldn't and not that we didn't, but when Stas is performing, that's Stas's performance. Like, why change it to a digital version of him? Like, it's there. That's him. And so that's what we did. So a lot of those shots are, you know, instead of a, a big frame, it's, you know, that big in frame of him, like, of the frame going like this. And then we put the bird in and put the environment in. So I think it's a, a really great integration of digital and practical together. Um, and it, I think it really sells it. So, but that one, we only did post viz in the end, which was basically an early version of our animation. Wow. I'm, it was seamless. I mean, it was really, it was amazing. And yeah, his emotions and performance came through and Jenna was fantastic as well. I mean, they both, both ladies were absolutely amazing in that sequence. And, uh, it was like watching it. It was like, wow, that, that's really an amazing sequence. 
I think I think for that is uh, just to jump in real quick is what's yeah. nice about all the cast is that they I've been on sets where they're like they they maybe don't hear hear me out right because it's like they can't see what's there yet and it's hard for them and so I, they were all of them were just fantastic listening to me when I'd say look I know it's weird because there's a green head right there but just imagine in this moment and then of course Zach's giving them the direction notes but I'm like. Just imagine in this moment that this bird is a big feathered creature and its whole body's back there. Like, just think about that as you're going through. And then for the opposite, our amazing special effects team and a spider, our stunt performers along the way, um, I'd go in, I'd say that to Stas, and then I'd have to go over to special effects and our creature performance say, look, you're doing this great, but I want you to like really rear up the parallelogram so it like snaps. So like Stas' eyeline goes like that really hard because that's important yeah. at this moment because the, the creature is going nuts. The venue is going nuts. And so all of the, all those people um, I appreciated because, again, they were all we're all there to make an amazing movie. And it's like they would listen and they wouldn't ignore it. Like you're did you, you come and post like there was a moment where everyone was like, yeah, cool. We'll do that. Good. The thing about this movie is it's it's an original piece. Uh, certainly has a lot of influences, but you have to design everything. I mean, the ships, the, you know, what the costumes is handled by a different department. So what was that like going in? Uh, anything uh, influenced you in like the ships themselves? I guess some of that might've been sketched out already. Yeah, it was. Um, so I would say that a lot of that is driven by our production designers. Right. And you know, even, you know, set back down the line when we're starting to build out the sets. So we knew what we had there. And then for the spaceships, I can talk a little bit about the spaceships. So, um, you know, I'll talk about, I guess, the dropship and Kai's freighter um, was all I have probably time for. But for the dropships, when Zach and I talked about those early on, we were going to just build bucks, like just like, you know, little portions of the dropship. And then we kind of started talking about, well, there's a lot of interaction with them and, you know, he's in and out and it lands. Why don't we build a full model of one? So we actually have one full one-to-one scale dropship that we put in all of our shots. And then that's great because it gives the cast something to actually that's tangible and also <laughs> gives me great lighting reference and also just great reference in general. Um, and so when they land, we talked about when they first land in Velt, we talked about, we knew that special effects could help us out with Raider fans, but when we started to really think about the thrusters and the, the moment that we wanted, we wanted the, the audience to feel the grit, right? We wanted that dirt and that in their hair and just be in that moment, that visceral experience. So we said, you know what? I remember that our line producer Bergen was not exactly happy with me, but I said, look, next week, probably two weeks, three weeks ago, we need a helicopter. And he's like, for what? And I'm like, we need a helicopter to do this big practical dust plume. And I go, I promise you, it'll look amazing when we put the digital ships in there. And I go, and Zach really wants this too. And so they were like, great, we'll, we'll do it. You know? And so that's what ends up with the first arrival. And I feel like it's so visceral and you feel the cast and like, it, it just, it adds the realism for Kai's freighter, who's like, it, it's a character within itself, right? And so yeah. art department gave us that. It was pretty well fleshed out, which is great because then I can focus on, okay, what's it look when it lands? 
And a lot of the motivation in, in our film, films, plural, but in this film, um, is, look, we could go like very clinical and clean, but we don't like that. Like there's a vintage feel to it. There's a gritty feel to it. And so for Kai's Freighter, a couple mandates were, let's make it sloppy. Let's make it look different. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a very large ship that's hard to navigate and it's kind of clunky at times. So when it first lands in Nuwadi, you get that big sputter of smoke and it kind of like does a little, you know, uh, uh, change, if you will, in its direction. And so it was that. And then it's a combination of all the dust. We're like, we shot the dust practically on this, but on these, we want the dust flume to be huge and it needs to hit the lens and it needs to feel gritty. And it just, we need to feel in it in that moment. And so those dust shots and, uh, and a lot of other things, but those were like, we pushed, you know, again, push the resources to the limits. Let's make these blue, beautiful dust plumes with a lot of interactive and like volume and volume rays through them and really kind of sell that like awesome space uh, ship moment, which is funny. I'll just give you a little tangent is, what, every time I look at those shots in post, I, I make the spaceship noise. I think for all of us, we're little <laughs> kids at heart, right? And so sure. spaceships, you're like, boo, 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 boo. And so I'd always make that. And my team would always look at me <laughs> like, it's cool. Come on, guys. It's a spaceship landing. And so I still do it. And it's fun. But the sound design's great for the final. Sci-Fi Talk returns in a moment. That's one thing I, I liked about it. it. It's Star Wars did it. Alien did it. It's a lived in universe. Things yeah. have dents in it. Things aren't, you know, what I call Kubrick clean, you know, yeah. Stanley Kubrick had everything so shiny and new. Which looking. Works. It works for it, it, it works, works for that movie. And, and that's actually that's I'm glad because those are the details we added. Like I. I shouldn't say this probably because I get arrested, but I was like driving one day and uh, uh, there was an 18 wheeler with a big old um, bulldozer on it. And I had all these rusty scrapes and stuff. So I'm like driving and I'm like, click, click real quick because I'm like, that's great. That's good reference. Like this, the, you know, these ships have been dented. They have like come in and they've scraped and like, it's just, again, a grit quality to it, which is fun, you know, and it's mm -hmm. different. It's, it's our movie. There's a vintage quality to it. And, Kubrick makes his movies, which are made his movies, which are very clinical and clean and live in their own world. And that's where right. we, we tried to set ourselves apart in a sense there and, mm -hmm. and not care that we're smashing the lens with a bunch of dirt, you know, digital dirt, because it feels real in that moment. Were there any digital doubles used at all in, in this movie? I mean, you mentioned that a lot of the actors were themselves in this. There were digital doubles used when we needed to. Um, we were we were precise with as much of the practical that we could be. Where it really got tricky is Gondol. And it's actually not, it wasn't necessarily, some of it was by choice because you get these big scope digital shots and like we have to add them in continuity. But some of it was because we shot Gondol in three different, three or four, three or four different sound stages. And so it was segmented pieces. And so we'd come one day to one set, uh, stage seven, for instance, and we'd be on platform one. So there's four to five platforms at Gondwell and we'd be on like the first platform. And then we'd come in the next day and it'd be the same stage and the same platform, but we're saying we're on platform four, right? And mm -hmm. then the next day we'd be over on another stage saying we're Oh, we're with the pilots over there with their, with the, you know, the practical, uh, more, more digital, but practical, um, 
uh, cockpits. But over there is all the the uh, cast. And so I tried to do my best to put the puzzle pieces together and shoot elements of the cast doing what they needed to. But when we put together the edit and, and post-production, it's just one of those moments where you go, okay, we need a digital double, you know, uh, Ray Fisher back there is blood axe because he's looking up to the ships and pointing up there. And unfortunately, I couldn't get that in time. So, and that's not a problem. So, but it, it was all, again, just to kind of support the story and support, you know, the cast performances there. And any performance we had that we could lean on, we animated too. The laser pistols. Uh, did you kind of try to do something that wouldn't evoke somebody else's movies, that kind of thing? Yeah, it was it was that, but also it was um, it was. I had an epiphany when I came to set one day, and I was like, "Oh, this is cool. We actually get to make our own like everything. Like this is a visual language that we're setting up for not only one movie, two movies, four movies if you count the extended cuts. But it's like this is cool. Let's try something different." So I knew um, that we that we wanted to kind of base it off of. Uh, we had a lot of interactive on set. And Zach had this idea that there were lava bullets loaded into these. And so I took that and ran with it and we kind of created the, the tracer look, if you will. So it's a combination of uh, tracer effects with lava bullets and sometimes sparks and singe marks. But what added another layer to it was the optic pass, like the lens flares that yeah. respect practical, which we did a lot of work to create and, and um, put a whole library together of those flares. And when you add that back on to everything, it's like, it's, I, I personally, and maybe other people don't like it, but it's gorgeous. Right. And it just mm -hmm. adds a, like a, a, a flare, a, you know, no pun intended, but a flare to the shots. Right. There you go. Yeah. The, uh, the scene with the spider, when she wields, you know, they actually look more like fire sticks more than that. They're, sure. they, they look more like flame more than, you know, the yep. other stuff. I do. Yeah. <laughs> So well, look, I, the other, sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, it's like, so yeah, talk about those. Cause I, I, I thought uh, they were original enough for me that I didn't confuse it with something else. Yeah. And the, the confusion is, is easy, right? Because you put a glowing stick in someone's hands and then right. you go to the most iconic stick, glowing stick in somebody's hands. And, and that's okay because that is a world that those live in and yeah. they're fantastic and they stand alone there. For us, we wanted to create something that looked different. And so I actually had a, um, uh, an image that I really liked as, uh, of a light painting. So it was a, 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 a woman with a sparklers and she streaks them like this, but mm. it's a long exposure. So it has this big, long streak. And then I had some other um, reference of uh, high speed laser light shows and also um, mm. the, unique uh sparkle crackle and pops um from like an element library that i found and so i kind of took all those together and i talked to um to uh bob winner at frame store who, who did the work um for nemesis and i said i want to do this but i want it to be like a synthetic shutter uh where even though we shoot the movie at usually 180 shutter i want these to streak in a 180 plate but be at a 270 or 360 shutter and have yeah. the streak also have this like heat signature off of them. They're hot and also add a little bit of smoke trail to them and some sword popcorns is what we call sword popcorn as well. That's the crackle. Mm -hmm. yeah, so we did a couple iterations of that and we finally landed on what's in the, what's in the movie, which uh, again, we thought it was really cool. 
um, really unique. It felt threatening, um, oh, yeah. but it felt new and fresh. As far as part two, how far along are you guys with that one? So part two, I can't say much about, right? but uh, it's going really well. And it's, it's honestly, it's a, it's a very fun film. We finish, uh, we'll finish in the new year. Oh, great. Did, did Zach do all the live action stuff? Is that, did he shoot both parts simultaneously? We shot both parts simultaneously. We shot for 152 days, 157 if you count all the elements that I shot. So wow. we shot it more or less um, in continuity order, which was fantastic, right? Um, uh, yeah, it was, it was a very daunting shoot. It was very long. Um, took a lot of energy from everybody, but uh, it's uh, you yeah, look. Movie one's great. I'm very proud of it. Movie two's also great, and I'm super proud of it. And it's uh, it continues the uh, the fun, if you will, and the the great story. Well, thank you. I appreciate your time today talking about this. Enjoy the rest of your holiday season, and best wishes for the new year. And yeah, I, I have a big screen. I'm looking forward to seeing part two. It, the part one looked great on my big screen TV. Awesome. Right. I can't <laughs> wait for you to see it. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Rebel Moon is available on Netflix. I've seen it. As I said during the interview, I've seen it on my big screen, and it looks terrific. Really nice special effects. If you're a Zack Snyder fan, I think you'll like it. If you like action-oriented sci-fi, I think you'll like this movie. Check out Rebel Moon. For Sci-Fi Talk, this is Tony Tolado. Thanks so much for listening.